You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The bottom of the hour, Ryan Leslie, host of Flames Hockey on Sportsnet. And at 8 o'clock, Tim McAuliffe, host of Sportsnet Central. We'll do the Speargrass Golf Show. We're also giving away two movie tickets, two medium popcorn, two medium drinks to see the Equalizer 3. In honor of a uh, Dutch TikTok influencer, Vera Diekmans, uh, she posted that she needs a boyfriend and she's taking applications. Uh, what is the thing you would put on your boyfriend application that makes you special? 960, 960, name and location. I feel like I'm opening up a dangerous can of worms with this, Maddie. Oh yeah, there's there's been a couple already that's like ah oh, yes, very good. There'll be a lot of bleeping from uh, well done, gentlemen. Very clever. Keep Not. them rolling in. Nine sixty nine sixty name and location. Uh, I, Blue Jays kicking. What's that? No, never mind. Go ahead. Okay, Blue Jays kicking off a crucial series uh, starting tonight in Denver against the Rockies. Ben Wagner is the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on the Sportsnet Radio Network, and he joins us here in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Ben, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning. I already have a question. I wonder what is more R-rated, your current text line or the one from that Cleveland series that I was looking at during the Blue Jays game? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? like it's just It's such a roller coaster of emotion uh, this season. Uh, for Blue Jays fans, um, or it's just like right away, I think of Anchorman. I'm trapped in a glass case of emotion, but that's what the Blue Jays season has been. That's what the Blue Jays season has been, Ben, because I think fans are legitimately frustrated because I don't think there's any question. There's a ton of talent on this team. And although the team is, you know, well over 10 games above 500, I still feel like they haven't played their best baseball. And now we're into September, Ben. Not even close to their best baseball. We've not really seen a long pocket of play where you're looking at this Blue Jays team singing, this is the team I've been waiting on all season long. This is where we find the extra gear, get over the proverbial hump, and then just you know soar off into the distance. The division had a lot to do with it. The schedule certainly had a lot to do with it at the beginning of the year. But those were also the things I think we all walked away from the first April and May chunk, thinking like, all right, now that we got through this, it's going to turn around all right, now that we get past this road trip this month of June, it's going to turn around. Uh, then the trade deadline, well, something's going to happen that'll turn it around, and this team will eventually take off. Every time you got right there, and you, and you can feel it, right? You win five or six games in a row, something happens. There, there might be an injury, a setback, a bad loss. You don't complete a sweep, and you're like, eh, well, it fell a little bit short of where we thought we were going. There has not been a run for the Blue Jays of winning 8 to 10 games or uh, 15 out of 20, let's say, where they get really hot and it all comes together. Uh, The one thing, though, that has certainly salvaged this season with the inconsistency from the offense, the pitching has been amazing. Like, to watch it each and every night, the pitching staff is the one thing that you, you were questioning coming in here on what the rotation would be, what a bullpen that was very dynamic in its build at the start, what would that be? It's all gotten better. It's all gotten better, and it's also gotten better without Alec Manoa, but that's a whole other story. 
So would the latest chapter in this book be the recent injuries to Boba Shett and Matt Chapman then and just how the team is continuing to kind of plug on? You know, I, I think that is is an overwhelming storyline with this team right now and how they're going to get through what should be the lightest portion of their schedule. Um, I think if, if this if this fails, and we all were t- on the field talking going into that Cleveland series and looking at uh, Cleveland, who has a pretty good pitching staff, really doesn't hit that well. They came up with timely hits, and that's why they won two out of three against the Blue Jays. But then you get in to the Washington Nationals, the Colorado Rockies, the Oakland Athletics, you come back and you play the Kansas City Royals. Uh, if you don't identify the, these two weeks as the most important two weeks, you're lying to yourself. Uh, if Now, I say that, but knowing it's lesser competition, both in wins and losses, and certainly in the pitching staff that the Blue Jays are going to face, it becomes, it becomes evident how important Bo Bichette is in this lineup. One guy can change everything and be in that number two spot, an RBI producer, uh, somebody that can get in and get on base when you desperately need somebody on base. And that spot has come up in these tough situations the last six games that the Blue Jays have had. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because you got these injuries that you're dealing with and you want these guys to be healthy, especially Bo, who's you know spent some time on the IL twice recently now. But at the same time, you also need these guys for the race, for the hunt, to get into the postseason, right? It's a little bit of a tight walk to a uh, uh, tight rope to walk. Well, certainly, and and that's why I think just reading the tea leaves, we have not seen Matt Chapman one on one, but I've seen him uh, working out and doing a lot of drills and all that stuff. I think if we were in two weeks from now, he would have played through it. Uh, Bo certainly has been hampered by the quad since coming off the knee thing. The good news is he missed three weeks. The team went eight and eight, played 500. Uh, you know, now we're going to have to identify, again, the record when he comes back here and how long it's really going to be. But but certainly not having these guys in the lineup is a big thing. It's a big thing offensively, but certainly defensively, because that's the strong side. And within the span of six outs, you lost Bo Bichette and you lost Matt Chapman out of the lineup that day, and now you're going to lose him for a couple of weeks. So um, they're they're treading water right now, uh, certainly. I think that's how you look at it. Um, ben, so many storylines with this rotation. I don't know which one is, is the most impactful or the biggest. You have Alec Manoa being sent down to AAA and struggling all season. You have Jose Barrios with a big-time bounce back. You say Kikuchi turning back the clock and pitching like an all-star like he was before he joined the Blue Jays. And then Hunjin Ryu coming back from Tommy John surgery and looking like season one with the Blue Jays of Hunjin Ryu. Out of all those storylines, which one's the most surprising to you? Well, the most surprising one is the setback from Alec Manoa. You know, the step back right. that he took from what was going to supposed to be, right? The, the league catches up in a sophomore slump. And it was so, so jarring on the results plus then you know the fact that he never could get it corrected early in the season uh you know where you heard about adjustments and he'll work himself out of that and i was in the camp i was in the camp to to not rush it because i i really think pitchers this this spring training who hadn't had a full ramp up for over two years and some of them in, in the case of you know around the COVID season had not had a full ramp up from an off-season standpoint all the way through spring training in three years, and some some young guys in the game have never done it. 
Uh, I was in the camp that we really needed to give Alec a long runway because the body of success was so great. It, it was it, it, in the American League East where he pitched so well. Uh, so for me, you know, the, the biggest storyline of this season, successes or not, starts with Alec Manoa. But then right there on, on the background is the two guys that surprised everyone and how great they have been, how consistent they have been, and that's Jose Brias. I know he was a little frustrated after that last start. Um, and you see Kikuchi has had some lapses where command has, has lapsed. But, but if you look at the overall body of work here, they were the two most important well, Jose Brias, in my mind, was the most important pitcher going to camp because you can get through a season with three solid starters and then figure out four and five and kind of steer your way through it. And I thought the Blue Jays would have four. If Jose Brias figured it out, then the question mark would have been Kikuchi. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the most important pitcher in camp going into the season being the, one of the most consistent pitchers in the rotation. And then you've got Kikuchi, who's just been the most pleasant surprise out of the rotation because last year was a certain grind for Kikuchi going into every start. And, um, and not that the Blue Jays would ever wave a white flag, but it looked pretty, pretty evident some days in a series matchup when Kikuchi was on the Hill, uh, the, you know, the Blue Jays were just kind of rolling the balls out there and see what, see what sticks. Um, but th- those are the three overwhelming places to start. When I look back at what is now way past two thirds of the regular season. Ben Wagner's the voice of the Blue Jays on the Sportsnet Radio Network, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russell and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. How fun is it to watch Hunjin Ryu change speeds on the mound there, Ben, because it's just so remarkable? Uh, it looks like, um, you know, just a radio broadcaster like I am could walk out there and squat behind the plate and handle his stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I, mean, I mean, it's like, Take me back to the glory days, you know, where the big overhand twelve to six curveball is coming out of uh, 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 out of Brian Giles' hand, you know, at Fairfield. Um, so, watching him go back to be kind of that surgical pitcher that we saw originally in 2020, you're like, wow, this is this is why there was so much excitement in that winter about Ryu jumping into the rotation because it was a guy that was known for the command, the change in speed. And he has changed his body at the same time. I mean, he looks great. And he's pitching for a reason. He's, he's pitching for, one, not to ride off into the sunset the way that the injury could have occurred. Uh, two, the fact that he feels that he has more in the tank. And also, he came out with a plan even before he went under the knife. He was telling me uh, when he found out that he had to have Tommy John surgery, they, they really felt that it would fix a lot of the chronic issues because the elbow was affecting the shoulder. The shoulder was affecting everything else. And he just wasn't feeling good for two years. So he said, all right, if I'm going to feel good and, and have this surgery, if everything works according to plan here and there are no setbacks, uh, I want to be back in 14 months. And this is even before they evaluated him. Uh, but what he did, he started to change his physical routine. His nutrition changed. He looks tremendous. I mean, he dropped over 30 pounds. Over wow. the course of this, over this rehab process, uh, and it's all now gaining him massive results. And and he's also pitching for a contract. Let's not forget that. You know, he thinks he's got more in the tank. One to provide what will be two full months coming off the Tommy John surgery, the rehab, and then back into the big leagues. Uh, and so far, he has looked tremendous. And and the stuff too. 
The stuff has been great. You know, the precision with the fastball has been in and out. We've seen the tick and and velocity change a little bit. I'm not going to get too wrapped up on velocity because the command is so good and the change in speed. You know, the changeup is getting more life, and that curveball has been outstanding and changing in speed. He's not even breaking the speed limit with the curveball, which is which is incredible. <laughs> I got to ask you about uh, one of my favorite players to watch lately, and that's David Schneider. He comes up, he shoots the lights out in Boston, then goes back down, then comes back up, and now it feels like he's red hot again. And it just feels like it's so fun when he is playing well, whether it is the small dude with a lot of power, the style itself, or just the way that the dugout seems to react whenever something goes well for David Schneider. What are you seeing from this guy and and the way that he's kind of impacted the team coming up here? I can tell you that the impact that David Schneider has made is not only within the clubhouse of the Toronto Blue Jays. It is an organizational celebration. Organizationally. There was some there was some video on social media about the Vancouver Canadians watching his first at bat the big leagues <laughs> live in their dugout. I know that it happened in New Hampshire and it also happened in AAA Buffalo. In Buffalo, the trainer had the video up on his phone during their active game in Allentown, Pennsylvania against Lehigh Valley. And when Schneider hit the home run, the entire dugout erupted too. So this is something that has been embraced and celebrated. And it might be the last time that this could happen for the franchise. Somebody that's a late-round draft choice, but more importantly, somebody that goes through literally every rung of the minor leagues mm-hmm. and in player development, all the way from signing the contract, going out to what they call mini-camp right after the draft, and then through every rung of the minor leagues, then to get to the major leagues. So there has been some little stitch of every piece of the organization around David Schneider, and they are all celebrating with him. Now you get to the big leagues, and you're like, what is this little fire hydrant out here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, and it's pressure-packed, you know, he's getting big at bats, and it went from this, oh, this is a really cool moment at Fenway Park, the second swing that he takes in the big leagues. He launches it over the monster. That's pretty cool. And he does it again, and he does it again. Then has a little bit of come-back-to-the-earth moment in Cleveland, but he makes the adjustments. And he is so disciplined within the strike zone. And I ask him about the training that he had at AAA with the automatic balls and strikes. It's a defined strike zone. You can't argue it. This is the strike zone. He goes, that taught me to be very disciplined and realize what to chase and what not to chase and where my strengths are within the zone. And um, Chris Black, one of our great producers as well, only emphasized that on his Twitter feed, and he said, here are, the, here are the pitches that David Schneider has put into play. And everything has been basically within, within that, well, one, within that strike box. Hmm. But there are a couple of identified spots within the strike zone that David Schneider is clearly hunting in his approach, and he's been able to capitalize. So the play discipline and making it translate from the, from the minor leagues to the big leagues, but with that mindset of like, all right, I use this tool to my advantage. And I've been able to succeed. And now to succeed at a league where pitchers can manipulate the strike zone. And so far, there has not been this great abyss that he's tumbled into. He's made adjustments. And when the Blue Jays needed a bat, when they needed somebody to produce, when they need offense uh, in any capacity, whether it's hitting the ball out of the ballpark or even to get on base, mm-hmm. boy, David Schneider has been somewhat of a savior for this lineup. Now, where would the hype be if he didn't have the mustache? Because I think it brings the whole package together. (laughs) 
Uh, when you're looking for gro- ground swell, the, <laughs> the super stash is right there leading the charge. Uh, I, we're finally seeing it in kind of the wave that I thought would happen last homestand. Um, you saw some sprinkle of mustache shirts. You saw yes. some people, you know, show up with the, the glue-on mustaches. And now we're seeing everybody with the stash. We're seeing kids. We're seeing grown men. We're seeing gaggles of women, uh, you know, rocking Blue Jay shirts or corporate office wear, and then slapping the stash on uh, when they come to the ballpark during the last homestand. This is, this is exactly where I thought the power would provide. And, and this, of course, if it takes a village like the entire organization is celebrating this, guess what? Now it's a, now it's a national treasure with this mustache. Um, two things can now never happen. Bo can never cut his hair, and he cannot <laughs> shave the stash. <laughs> Those are the two things. Um, but it, it is certainly an endearing It's an endearing thing, right? It's an endearing compliment to uh, a guy that has had an amazing arrival to the major leagues. Um, ben, what are you expecting out of September call of Spencer Horowitz and uh, Chad Green? Uh, more from Chad Green than I am from Spencer Horowitz. I think Horowitz is a great contact guy, possesses a little power. We got a flash of what Spencer could give you when the Blue Jays needed him to jump in the lineup. I think we were in Texas and then through Miami. You know, he's he's got a pretty good left-handed swing, uh, good contact, the ability, like I said, to hit it out of the ballpark, but I don't really think that's going to be his game. Uh, you know, can run the base as well. And the Blue Jays, Blue Jays in late-game situations want to be able to be a little bit more dynamic. They've used the wheels with the pinch runners, and I know that was a hot topic conversation when they didn't use the pinch runner the other night. But uh, Spencer's going to plug in probably late in, in some situations, get a start here or there down the stretch. But this, I, you know, don't think that this is going to ride the wave like former 40-man call-ups uh, where you're here all September and you, know, you only get like three or four at-bats. I think the Blue Jays are going to look at this series by series or at least week by week. Spencer's up here because now you've got – you're getting more of Whit Merrifield in the outfield, and you might want a left-handed option and a little bit better of an outfielder late in game situations. If you have to bring Whit back in, he's an upgrade. Spencer is an upgrade still in the outfield over Davis Schneider um, and Kevin Biggio. So – it might not be long here. They look at things a lot differently than just having a guy. Uh, they look at what the bullpens would be in late-game situations for who would be available on the Blue Jays' bench. So you might even see Nathan Lucas coming up here in, in 10 days, 12 days, or whatever. It could flip-flop still in September. Um, they might use that spot, just like it was a traditional 40-man spot and 25, 26-man spot in May. Now, Chad Green, I put a lot more emphasis on, and how he can jump into a bullpen that – that needs that needs a good reliever. Needs a good reliever, uh, especially right now, right? Because you lost Eric Swanson. Uh, Swanson told me with some pain management and some medicine, he hopes that the the inflammation in his back will calm down. It's something that he has not battled at any point to the season. Even though the workload has increased, he's gone past career highs in innings and in appearances. He goes, it was just kind of a freak thing. Didn't feel it warming up. Didn't feel it till he got on the mound, tried to fight through it, through it at bat, and then realized on the last pitch that something was wrong. He shut it down, so he did the right thing. Um, and he's really hopeful that 15 days will be the max. But the Blue Jays need him now over the next 10 days because Chad Green is a guy that has been there, fallen into the biggest spots where teams have needed him, and he's somebody that has been there and done that. And 
but the Blue Jays overall have been really encouraged from what they've seen. He did the back-to-back on Saturday and Sunday, got his last tune-up on Wednesday, and he's going to jump right into that Blue Jays bullpen, I think, uh, right away. Uh, they, they, they need him, and they need to find out what he can provide over the last four weeks of the regular campaign here. Um, out of the teams the Blue Jays are chasing for a wild card spot right now, Ben, Mariners, Astros, and Rangers, does it feel like Texas is the team that might come back to them? Ooh. Yeah, those four games become really, really important here in a couple of weeks, don't they? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as much an emphasis as when we started our conversation today about this kind of defined soft pocket in the schedule, the season, the season for me will boil down to where the Blue Jays handled that series. Uh, because the last two weeks, you've got 12 games, six and six split between the Rays and then the Yankees. Um, only those, those, those two teams are the last 12 games that the Blue Jays will face. If you don't handle your business against the Texas Rangers and really jump in, and it, the worst, in my opinion right now, you know, looking at it, the worst that, that the Blue Jays can do is split those four games. Uh, in my mind, the biggest four games of the season come down to that Texas Rangers series because you can knock a team out and you can position yourself right in the thick of things where it, 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 it becomes much, much more controllable from a Blue Jay perspective in those four games if you knife your way right back into the standings for the wild card race. Uh, ben, before I let you go, for our listeners who don't know, you're a Colts fan. Uh, Anthony Richardson, named one of the captains, going to be the starting quarterback this season. But the Jonathan Taylor situation, the Jonathan Taylor situation is on all roses. Um, there's a stink on the franchise right now. Is, is he going to get traded? Yeah. He's starting the season on the PUP list. Can't play the first four games. Is he playing one down for the Colts this season, Ben Wagner? I think reality might smack him in the face when he's not part of that uh you know, that tunnel where you're running out on, on opening well, kickoff. I call it opening day still because I'm a baseball guy. But <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think Jonathan Taylor will get it figured out. I, I really do. And it, sounds like, it sounds like his camp or him specifically is leading the charge on this thing. So, uh, you know, I look at this from, a, from a, like a, a locker room and clubhouse perspective on how this would play within a Blue Jays clubhouse or clubhouses that I've been around. Uh, this guy's this guy's got some um, he's got some fences to mend, I think, in Indianapolis, hmm. because this goes against the grain from what he uh, had kind of displayed the first couple of years in being team minded, an elite superstar, rising uh, to every occasion in Indianapolis, plus being in the community. Uh, I think he's got some fences to mend. This thing certainly has a stench on it, um, and you know, without. I know quarterback, having your QB1 set, able to perform, and having the right guy in that position will ultimately be your success or your demise in the NFL. Having a talent like that can make and break games. It just, it just is. We've seen it with, with whatever the, the Indianapolis Colts the last couple of years have tried to define as a quarterback. Because <laughs> it has not been a quarterback at the elite NFL level. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had been their saving grace in so many ways, and this is really unfortunate because it makes a, makes that offense way more well-rounded, certainly yeah. way more athletic if Jonathan Taylor is part of that, that combination. Yeah, a lot of fantasy football players uh, having a big-time eye on the Jonathan Taylor situation. Mm-hmm. Ben, uh, have fun calling the series. Thanks for this, pal. Thank you, guys. Be well.
There's uh, Ben Wagner on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Straight ahead, Ryan Leslie, host of uh, Flames Games on Sportsnet, will join us straight ahead. How's the summer going? We'll get his thoughts on the captaincy. Is he hearing anything on the Elias Lindholm, Michael Backlund fronts? We'll talk to Ryan Leslie about that. And uh, in honor of a Dutch uh, TikTok influencer, Vera Diekmans, uh, she's taking a lovely lady. Uh, she's taking applications uh, on, on, on boyfriends. She's throwing a boyfriend application. What would be uh, uh, one of the one of the highlights of your boyfriend application? 960, 960, name and location. Some of these are great already. Um, keep them rolling in. We'll do that at 8.30 after the Speargrass Golf Show when we give away uh, some tickets to go see the Equalizer 3. Ryan Leslie next. It's The Big Show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose Sportsnet 960, the fan. At the top of the hour, he is the host of Sportsnet Central. Tim McAuliffe will join us. Get his thoughts on Canada's basketball team, the Blue Jays. Mix in a little NHL talk. Canada, Brazil on the go right now on Sportsnet super early into the game. And at 8.30, we'll do the Speargrass Golf Show. And we'll give away some movie tickets to the Equalizer 3. But joining us on the line right now, Flames host on Sportsnet on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. And we say good morning to Ryan Leslie. Hello, sir. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, i got to admit, I have just revisited the Equalizer series. Um, The timing is uncanny. I'm sitting here recovering from a uh, light shoulder surgery and uh, delved into it again, had forgotten it. Pretty intense. Pretty good. Okay, um, I might have to check that out. So we will we'll now. I, I hope you're doing well. Uh, light shoulder surgery still seems pretty serious, Ryan. George, it's the National League. We can get through it. We're going to be ready. <laughs> All right. Okay. You got to play <laughs> through the hurts. You caught that, eh, man? Yeah. Very well done. Uh, are you hurt or you're injured? Because if you're hurt, you Just can play. Old, uh, if you're injured, you can't. Yeah, no, I'm hurt. Uh, just an old basketball okay. injury. I'm an old man, George, and um, I'm broken <laughs> down, and uh, it was time to, to clean things up. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just sitting around watching Equalizer movies. That's welcome to my <laughs> it's world. Not bad. It's not a bad deal. Um, uh, you, you definitely, you're not definitely an old man. You, uh, you look very young for your age, sir. Um, mm-hmm. It's the two pay, George. Mm, yeah, it is. Very <laughs> it nice. Is. Is there anything better? Like, is there something in life that you can just spot from a mile away than a toupee? Like, right away you can spot it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. There's a, there's a joke in there somewhere. I'm not going to touch yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, again, they, you know, they do I, amazing I things with hair transplants. Station. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, and they I do amazing things with one. hair transplants now. Turkey's apparently a hot spot to get these things done. Just go there instead of getting a toupee. Um, <laughs> very popular around here. Yeah. Very popular. Turkey, believe it or not. Uh, Ryan, how, what's your. How do you how do you ramp up? How do you ramp up for the season? You do a terrific job of uh, covering the Flames on Sportsnet. Oh. What's your preseason routine? Getting ready for the season, and don't say watching the Equalizer. Okay, oh, one through three. Um, you know what? I think just uh, reaching out, talking to some uh, players, management, uh, just kind of get myself up to speed with uh, some of the conversations that have taken place over the summer and. Maybe more so in the last few weeks, where it's kind of been quiet. You know what I mean? GMs mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. taking a bit of a pause from uh, what could have been a pretty crazy or at least trying summer. Um, so just kind of digging in that way. Um, that's really about it. I mean, we kind of have some 
um, conversations as we get a little bit closer uh, to camp and preseason as far as the network is concerned and meetings and that kind of thing. And, um, and then just kind of dust off Rick Ball and Kelly Rudy and fire the machine up again. <laughs> um, you mentioned you got to kind of reach out to coaches, managers, all that type of stuff. How different has that been this year? Yeah, it has been different, actually, hasn't it? I mean, I'm sure you guys have found the same. I mean, we're kind of talking about the same sort of uncertainty, mm-hmm. mix in a little anticipation, mix in a little bit of opinion with where you think this is going. And I'm sure every caller and listener and uh, guest that you've had, as well as your colleagues, have, have all kind of weighed in on, on similar you know, handful of topics that uh, – that still are going to be uh, addressed and looked at and batted around. And, and that's why we love it. Um, but yeah, I think this has been a little bit different because you still, you have a sense of if this roster stays the way it is right now, they could make a bit of noise here, but is it staying this way? Um, and I think that's the biggest question. And um, you know, what pieces fall, what pieces are moved out, what pieces come back in. So there's, there's a lot still that we can sit here September 1st and say, we've kind of had a couple of conversations that sound similar to this, but that's okay. Uh, we're inching closer towards it. And I think everybody's kind of got that. All right. September one, you know, get into labor day, all that stuff. And, uh, and, um, and now we start to get a little bit closer to some clarity, hopefully, but it, this thing could go on throughout the season, which is great for all of our outlets. So there's lots to talk about and I'm sure people are starting to, um, uh, get to a point where it's you know a little bit more uh, top of mind every day for everybody, the listener, the viewer, and uh, and certainly uh, from where we sit. So yeah, I, I can't wait to kind of get a little bit more um, definitive answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just kind of going over the off season in my head here, and I think if I could use one word to describe it, I would use the word patience. What would be a word you would use to describe this first off season for Craig Conroy? Ooh, that, yeah, for Craig, I think that's a great word, man. I think that's, uh, you know, he's he's had to be patient. He's an intense guy, mm-hmm. um, but he's a smart guy. And so that balance of uh, of patience with also wanting to establish yourself. And, and, and you know, he's got a lot uh, on his plate. Uh, and that's just not cliche. That's He's got a, a bunch of things he needs to deal with. So, And that's not unlike any other general manager in Canada or across the league. So this one's just unique because he's on the job for the first year in this, in this position. And he's, you know, got a lot of, uh, a lot of work to do still. Um, that is not always comfortable, especially when he has good relationships with these guys and there's going to be some uncomfortable, uh, chats and uh, direction. But I, you know, m- my opinion is, is that, you know, I think there's a little bit of interest, uh, certainly in all those players that are entering their final year, of their contracting wise, Lindholm, there's some discussions there. I think Michael Backlund is, is, you know, all of them are going to be professionals no matter what come training camp. They're going to come back and, and you know, try and help this club win hockey games. And, and certainly they all have a great relationship with the city and management. So it's not like we're talking about, you know, a frosty fall with some players coming back. I don't think that's the case at all. And I think uh, it would surprise me if a guy like Noah Hannafin was here um, by the time the deadline came around. Um uh, I think uh, I think you're going to see uh, the season start with uh, at least uh, a handful of these guys entering their final year, and you know I just I think the market right now is just a little cool, 
And we have to always be careful not to either over-evaluate or have these expectations that are that are uh, un, unreal or unrealistic. And, uh, and I think we've just got to let this thing play out and see what happens around the league before we start to see some movement here. Ryan Leslie, Flames host for Sportsnet, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960, The Fan. What's your gut telling you about Elias Lindholm? Uh, well, it's a loaded question. And I think, you know, just answering that as far as the way I'm reading it is just, you know, I, I think he's one heck of a complete hockey player, but I'm, I'm a little bit leery about just given where things are right now with existing contracts, direction of the team, his age, everything else, um, about, where your limit is if you're the Calgary Flames. Uh, where is it? Is it the eight times eight that has been whispered? Is it the a little bit more than that? Um, you know, I, I just I want to be very careful right now. But I also think that he has a ton of leverage, and it's not very often in anyone's career where you have that kind of leverage. He's got it. Um, there's not a lot of center depth um, without him, and um, you know I think he's he's got some leverage. Uh, he's a good hockey player. I just uh, I just wonder how this one unfolds. I think I think he's going to be here for the bulk of this year for sure, and then I think we're going to get to a point where, um, <laughs> although it doesn't, it, guys, doesn't it kind of have the feeling that we've seen before? Like you've got these pieces. Okay, maybe the the return isn't where it should be right now, or where you'd hope it would be if you're a Flames fan. And then, uh, well, wait a minute, you're kind of you're approaching the deadline. You're kind of in it you're in the conversation of a playoff position and you can't do anything about it and your kind of hands are tied and it just kind of has that feeling are we going to go down that road that we've seen in the past and it sort of feels that way and it's going to be a very tricky balancing act for Craig Conroy and company and I just think I think they're a good team right now I think there's lots of uh, reason to think that they could make some noise as is but how does it affect um, not the immediate future but next year and beyond. So uh, the Elias Lindholm one is a fascinating uh, saga soap opera that, uh, that I don't think has a clear cut answer yet. I, I think it's been very quiet on that front. I think he's got leverage and he's a great hockey player. And I think he uh, is going to determine what's best for him while the Calgary flames have to strike that balance of, okay, well, wait a minute, what's best for us? How much are we willing to pay and how much do we want to commit going forward given that you've got some hefty contracts and given that younger players got to get in and given that he's probably you know, your best piece if you did have to move something uh, that would command a return. So I don't know how this plays out, but I, I know it's going to be yet another intriguing storyline that we continue all summer and all fall to watch. Ryan, what do you know about uh, Oliver Shillington's off-season preparation and, and kind of maybe an expectation for him returning to the NHL this year? Yeah, probably just what you guys do. And you see him training and you yeah. see him kind of um, putting it out there as he does. And that's a great thing to see because he wasn't doing that. And you didn't know where uh, that sat for a while. So it's encouraging, I guess, by at least what we see. Um, haven't talked to him other than a quick uh, text exchange so i don't really have a sense mm-hmm. of it boys but i i do get the sense that uh that um that he's a lot more prepared this year to come into camp and and certainly uh you just hope for the the best as far as uh all that he was going through that he's you know good to go and mentally physically and 
and uh, just being prepared. So, I mean, what a what a great ad to have. Um, knowing what we saw the last time we saw him being an effective hockey player. And, uh, you know, Chris Tanev's still here. Maybe he's the guy that gets him going again, like we saw. And, um, and, and we'll see how this plays out. But, yeah, I think he's mm-hmm. a great ad. He's a good young player who can skate. Now, we know he's uh, an offensive guy, and he can take some chances. He can dazzle you, and he can also <laughs> frustrate you at times. But, uh, you know, uh, another storyline that you look at him saying, okay, when you start talking about the Flames players and the individuals who need bounce-back years, I think you can throw him into that pile because – you want to see what you're going to get from them. And there's a lot of those questions, I think, up and down the roster. Ryan, who's the guy who has more pressure on him heading into the season, Jacob Markstrom or Jonathan Huberto? Well, that's another good one. I think uh, I think Jonathan Huberto, um, because it was such a dramatic turnaround for a guy who, you know, has a great deal of pride Um and was in a new scenario, a new situation, new city, organization. Um, and I think, you know, he's determined to bounce back. I think Jacob Markstrom will. Um, he's been here before. There's nothing that's really uh, overly new to him now as far as uh, these situations um, like Huberdo. So now we're talking about, if you will, like a quote-unquote sophomore season for Huberdo as a, as a flame. And, uh, you know, you want to see what that looks like. Um biggest drop off in NHL history does won't sit well with him. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say Huberdo. I don't know if you guys would feel the same on that one, but it, it, it does sort of feel that way. And Markstrom, I think is, is as important or even more important, but I just think in terms of the pressure and, and the need to bounce back, I, I would say it's Huberdo. How about you yeah, I I, I, th- I would have to go with Huberto as well. I just think that yeah. the the like you mentioned, when you have a historic point drop off, mm-hmm. something probably sticks there. And Jacob Markstrom, I thought he actually played significantly better in the last little end of the season there, and kind of gave him a chance to get in the playoffs late. But but I feel yeah. like if Jacob Markstrom's not Jacob Markstrom, they're not going to make the playoffs. If Jonathan oh, yeah. Huberto, well, yeah, if sure, Jonathan Huberto has the importance level is a different question for yeah. sure. You need that goalie to be right, but yeah, both are right. integral pieces. I, I think Huberto can have a good season, not a great season, and this team can make the playoffs. I'm not sure that's the case for Jacob Markstrom. I think he has to Agreed. be really, really good for this team to be in the playoffs. Well, George, yeah. just what 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 would the difference be between a good and a great season for Jonathan Huberto? He has to be. A good season's north of 80 points, no? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a great measuring stick right there. And yeah, and I'm with that, that rationale, that reasoning, George. I, I think um, you would feel great if he had over 80 points. You'd feel wonderful uh, right. about that. But I think you, you, need, you need Markstrom to be superb again, and he needs it. And his teammates need to have that faith again. And yeah, there were some there were some real positives for sure um, at times uh, down the stretch. But uh, uh, you needed him to be a little bit more of the Markstrom of a of a season prior. So yeah, I would agree with you in terms of that. I just think uh, internally, I think uh, Huberto is is the guy that I think a lot of people will be watching right off the hop. I think the pressure is on him maybe a little bit more. Um, I don't know if that's fair or not, but it, it sort of feels like 
maybe it's internal pressure. You know he'll be feeling it and wanting to get off the hop right away. And I think Markstrom can find some, you know, ebbs, flows, some grooves, some runs, that kind of thing. So, and I think that's just the way it goes with goalies. But uh, I think one guy will be feeling it uh, in particular. This offseason has been fascinating because, you know, last offseason we talked all about Jonathan Huberto because he had just gotten traded and we wanted to see how he would fit in and everything that goes with that. And then he had a disappointing year and he's been in the conversation all summer again. Now, Nazem Kadri hasn't necessarily been the same topic of discussion, but also didn't have the same year that he had had prior. What do you think a quiet offseason is going to do for Nazem Kadri? Yep, I think that's a, another great one that everybody's uh, keeping an eye on because you're right, somehow he has stayed below the radar a bit on that front. And I'm not saying, you know, internally, or I'm not saying, you know, for those who watch it closely or those who have a strong opinion on it, but he's one that um, needs to bounce back, certainly. He won a cup. Maybe that buys him a, a, a little bit of time. He played a lot of hockey, you know, in the minds of uh, of fans where, okay, a little bit of you know, new setting, new system, new everything, didn't get along with the coach, played a lot of hockey, maybe the, the Stanley Cup hangover is a real thing here. You know, now I think the spotlight will be on him, and I think the criticism will be there if his play is not. And I I think, too, you know, this is a city that welcomes, um, you know, big names that want to commit to being here. Um players who have accomplished them, you know, they they want to get behind this team. I think they've given them a lot of uh, a lot of rope and I think that uh, this is a uh, this is a, a couple of examples of, of veterans who need to be better, know they need to be better, fan base that knows that, expects it. And so I think um, this year I think Nazem Kadri is going to be a little bit more front and center. He answered the bell most times uh, last year, I think, and I think uh, he he is a pretty proud guy. I think uh, with a new coach and a new fresh outlook for a lot of players, I'll be watching Nazem Kadri really closely, and I certainly won't be alone. I think uh, I think we talked about that internal pressure uh, that Huberto is probably putting on himself. I think that that'll apply and that'll fit to to Nazem as well, and. Um, you know, if you can get those two guys going, you might have something because it's been, you know, there were some plays there late in the year that were highly criticized by him. And, you know, he's he's certainly uh, very aware of um, of what he did and what he didn't do throughout the season. And, uh, you know, hopefully you know, with a new coach, you put the old stuff behind you and you kind of move forward if you're him. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's very valid. I think he's he's going to be looked at with a little bit more scrutiny this year. Man, we're having a lot of uh, conversations on pressure and bounce-back seasons, yeah. but, Brian, how it's important is October one. and November for this team? Like, yeah. like just, just how the, the rest of, you know, the next, you know, one or two years could potentially be shaped on what this team does in October and November and the direction of the franchise. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I would agree because uh... – you get off to it. Look, you know, you can play it out as I'm sure Flames fans have many times. You you get off to a great start, which you, everyone's hopeful for. Um, you got a big road trip right off the hop. I think you had the home opener against Winnipeg, and then you go east right away for one of a hundred trips east. It seems, but uh, but yeah, you've got to get off to that great start, which could mean all right, you're rolling, which could mean. You're not moving guys. You're hanging on to them. And but if you get off to the rotten start, well, 
we all know about the talk about being out of it by Thanksgiving and American Thanksgiving and what that might mean for any roster if they fall out of it. So, yeah, I'm with you. This, this first two months are crucial. And, um, you know, you got road trips in there. You got bounce back at, uh, seasons for a lot of people. Um, you've got new people in place. Not, I mean, familiar, but a new head coach, a new GM, and certainly um, some players who are very familiar with this. It, it could go a number of ways, but I think the two that we're talking about is are you blowing this thing up or going in a new direction or retooling, or are you just going to roll with this group and just see where it can take you because it is a talented roster. And, uh, again, the hyperbole aside, like this is this is a team as it sits today that they could – you know, pretty proud group in some of that room. They know they got to be better, and I think that they they could uh, go on a run in the first couple of months. But uh, time will tell. But we are going to have some sense of direction before uh, before Christmas. That's for sure. And as as you should, you should know what kind of hand you've been dealt. But right now, we're sitting here, kind of looking at our cards, going, "All right, how do we play this thing?" And I don't know. I mean, Craig is a is a smart guy and Craig is a very connected guy and he's got great relationships not only in this organization but around the league. So that's gonna be put to the test right away and I can't wait to see how he plays that hand. Uh will the shoulder be okay for the Flames golf tournament or no chance? No chance, George, no right. chance. But I'm uh, disappointed in that. So the day is yours. Please play well and uh try. Yeah, Matty, it was great to see you up in Red Deer at the Battle of Alberta Golf Tournament. That was wonderful. I, I didn't get a chance to catch your show, but always uh, a great event. How'd you play? You know what? For about ten minutes, I might have been the ho- hottest golfer in the world. That'd be what's that? No, what, what, one I, shot? I golfed three times in like three years. I'm terrible, but but I was playing with Matt Stage, and we had a great mm. time. It's great to get out there with another fellow bald guy. Mm. And uh, yes. swing the sticks a little. It was it was a yeah. lot of fun. What a great event they put on! Oh, it's so good. It's one of my they, favorites. Yeah. They always talk about the goaltending union, but there's a there's a mutual respect for a lot of ball dudes out there. There just is. Oh yeah, it's an underground thing. It's it's great. Like, you are you in the car, Ryan, nod. and you drive by a bald guy? Do you guys make eye contact and nod? Like, is that a yeah, thing? There's a subtle nod. It's just maybe a yep. quick little, you know, point to the finger. Like, hey, I've been there. None of us hair people are around. You guys go and just bump foreheads yeah. like a couple of bison. Easy, Maddie. <laughs> what, what you're into over there, but no head butts. Yeah. And no, it's uh, it's just a it's a fraternity, guys. You wouldn't understand. Well, actually, soon no. you both will. What? Well, George, no, you're no, fine. So, well, George, you're fine. Yeah, I'm. Uh, thank you, Maddie. You're on uh, the clock. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> you're on the clock. Pardon me. So great! I remember I used to have these conversations, like a tutorial or like a yeah. like a therapy session with like uh, Sam Bennett or Matt Stajan back in the day. I, you try to get to guys early, just let them know you're there to support them, and yeah, and uh, you know it's yeah, going to be okay. You've got a couple of options. I don't like this. This is, works. This is more yeah. unsettling than anything. Mm. Uh, we'll take a break, Ryan. We you uh... we'll take your calls and more. <laughs> yeah. On the ball, you, you look good, bald. Like some dudes, I would look like a, a like a disaster bald because I think the back of my head's flat because maybe I should have been rolled more than as a baby. But yeah. I would not well, look George, good I don't with a bald you head. Have any options either way? Like I don't think with yeah. hair or without. I don't. I don't think there's much help. <laughs> well, <laughs> my mom says I'm handsome. 
Um, when, I was, when I was at when I was at the barber once, uh, he was teaching another dude how to cut hair, and uh, he had the razor and he was doing the back of my head, and he's like, "Now watch, this is a good head to learn on because he's got a weird shaped skull." And I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> I'm right here. I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. What? I'll tell you. You know what? I was in my late twenties, and I know this is great sports talk radio, but I was in my late twenties, standing in line at the bank." I uh, had not shaved my head, and I look up in the uh, surveillance monitor at the uh, TD Bank downtown. I like, I point to it, like to my buddy. I go, "Look at that guy losing a few feathers in the back." Oh my gosh, that's my hand! <laughs> and it was me. And I, uh, oh dear, uh, I've got to address this. And so I, uh, at the time, I was, um, I was into that sport called running. And uh, we were a bunch of buddies, and I were doing the Canadian Death Race up in Grand Cash. And I, I had to quickly come up with a plan. Hey guys, should we, you know, I was like a real team rallying point. Should we shave our heads? It'll be really fun. They're like, no, no, I'm good. Well, I'm doing it. Okay. And I never went back. Yeah. Well great. done. It. Well uh, done. Great job. Uh, the Hungarian lady who cuts my hair uh, in the Coromal goes, you're very handsome. So suck on that, Leslie. Mm. What? <laughs> She's all yours. Well done. Yes. Now, yeah. Now, I, Very I, thick I don't know forearms. if you've done a, a hot shave before, but this is uh, yes. This is a wonderful thing. That's for sure. It's uh, it's something a bald man can really uh, enjoy and yep. stretch out and feel like, hey, there is a purpose for me out here. Oh, I love it. Uh, Brian, perfect much. stuff. It's heartwarming. Yeah, it is. It's nice. Uh, get that morning. shorter better, uh, better, okay? Thanks, boys. All right. Talk to you soon. There he is, Take Ryan care. Leslie. Um Flames uh, host for Sportsnet. Bald guy in the fraternity. Uh, we'll talk to another bald guy, Tim McAuliffe, straight ahead. <laughs> Apparently I'm going to be joining them soon. Great. Perfect. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, <sighs> I've got a terrible skull. I can't be bald. You can get on a flight to Turkey. What? Turkey does all the hair transplants. Oh. It's a place to go, apparently. Tom Brady got a, a hair transplant. Anybody can get a hair transplant. Yeah, like you look at Tom Brady early on with the he was he was losing his feathers. He got a hair transplant. God bless like, him. It feels like a rich person thing. Well, yeah, that's right. I forgot we work in radio. We're yeah. just right above the poverty line. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe not us, but boys in the maybe other not room. entirely boys over in the, the other room. Line. I don't know. Yeah, yeesh. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. Tim McAuliffe next, movie tickets, Speargrass Golf Show. Um, yeah, it's all straight ahead. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.